Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Viene Madison que le pega el arquero. La pelota ingresó. No. No ingresó. Señoras y señores, ahí está Aaron Ramsdale. Dos salvadas monumentales de Ramsdell, ¿eh? monumentales, es tremendo. Señoras y señores, ahí está Aaron Ramsdell. Señoras y señores, Aaron Ramsdale, dos salvadas, dos salvadas, dos, 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 pega, no, señoras y señores, monumentales de Ramsdale, monumentales, tremendo, This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning, Andrew. Goodly morning. Uh, lovely to have one. It is. We've had a few now of late, so I'm 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 digging the goodliness of these recent mornings. You know, I think the world, given the fact it's in, you know pretty much shit order everywhere um we need these things to keep our faith in existence going maybe that's just me having some existential dread on a monday morning but that's what i feel like but these mornings they help me good i'm glad Mm. i'm glad they help everybody i think yeah a really a really fun weekend i think for the most part yeah it really was. Where do we start? How do we start? What do we do? How do we do this? I know we've done this 439 times previously, by the way. This is episode 440, so we should know what we're doing at this point. But sometimes it's difficult to know how to kind of kick off the discussion and all of that. Sure. So, you know, do you, have, do you have any bright ideas or should we just sort of wing it as always? I mean, yeah, it seems crazy that we've gone about 60 seconds without saying the name Aaron Ramsdale, doesn't it? Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll get to that. I mean, it's hard to look past it, isn't it, as a moment? It is. It was just so spectacular. I mean, not just that moment, the performance in general. Um, you know, there, there are some yeah. stats doing the rounds and what have you, which, which really highlight that. So maybe we should come on to it in, in chronological fashion. Okay. To sort of Let's build the anticipation. They'll be going, oh, they're going to talk about Ramsdale now in a second and blah, blah, blah. But let's talk about, well, it was the same team that played against Aston Villa. 
So uh, Ben Benjamin uh, Benny White was fit or or healthy or whatever it was because he'd been sick during the week and he had to drop out of the Leeds game. And I think that was the only real uh, injury concern. We'd rested some players in midweek. So it was the same team that started against Aston Villa, same sort of system. And once again, we got a really bright start from Arsenal. This is a... This is a new feature that I like. It's sort of, um, how would I describe this? The first time I, I got a car which had a reversing camera. Yeah. It's just a game changer. It's a yeah, game changer. I don't changer. have a car with a reversing camera, and I hired one recently. Yeah. I think I was in Spain. And, I, I mean, I, you could never go back. Coming back to my own car, I've just been smashing it into lampposts. Other cars, children. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it is it's a, a fantastic piece of kit. But bringing that to football, I know what you mean. Yeah. It's difficult to... You don't want to go backwards no, Exactly, now. exactly. You didn't really know you needed it until, a, until you got it. And now that you've got it, you just absolutely don't want to be without it. So a couple of things on this, I suppose. One is... Um, we talked about this last season a bit where when we took a kickoff, we would play the ball back to the right-sided centre half who would launch the ball towards the left wing, um, yeah. towards either the left wing or a left midfielder, whoever pushed up there. And it was, a, I guess, a, a, an attempt to try and push the opposition back and gain territory. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. Um, I'm not saying that that's the exact reason as to why we're starting games more front-footedly, but uh, I, I found that interesting. Uh, I mm. suppose there's only so long you can keep doing the same thing without it being really easy for the opposition to deal with. Um, but the bright starts are very, very promising because I know we have spoken many times about, well, we got in at halftime and it was like, okay, well, we've got to do better in the second half. We've got to reassess. We've got to like wonder, have we wasted 45 minutes of football? You know, so I know we're not like a 90 minute team or anything like that yet, but there is something very pleasing about the way we're starting games uh, at the moment, because it does give you, if you can capitalize on that early momentum, early possession, early territory, it gives you a kind of a, a good foothold. I mean, the first goal being the most important one and all that, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but there is something to it. Definitely. And I think what's important is that, you know, Arsenal have had a good opening 10 minutes in quite a few games this season, then completely faded. They sustained what they produced in those early phases for the first half hour. I thought that was a really good spell. Mm. Um, and crucially, I think Leicester, they kind of walked into it. You know, they lined up in a very similar system to Aston Villa. And that enabled us to kind of enact some of the same tweaks and the same game plans that we'd introduced for mm. that match. So, yeah, it was a, a really positive start. Again, it was evident that Arsenal were physical, that they were really competing in the duels. And they were sort of breaking and attacking with real effectiveness. And, and crucially, they got the goals that you need to get when mm. you're on top for a spell like that. Um, and I guess set-piece efficiency is a really big part of that. We've re- In the last few games, we've really benefited from our corners. Yeah, we have. Um, let me just see if I can find... I found... Uh, I was reading a piece earlier. It might have been in the Times or something like that. But it was basically, I think, in, in uh, our last four games... In all competitions, we've scored from a set piece. 
Mm. Um, I'll see if I can find it. But yeah, I mean, look, that is certainly something that we have improved on because we we spoke, didn't we, about set pieces um, being a bit of an issue for us or not scoring enough goals from corners. Yeah, it's a piece in the Times. It's headlined, um, Arsenal transformed by set piece guru Nicholas Yeover. Um, and it says this was the fourth consecutive game in all competitions in which Arsenal have scored from a corner. They have scored six goals from set plays in the Premier League this season, more than any other team. And Mikel Arteta says it's a crucial part of the game nowadays. A lot of games are defined by them. It's something you have to dominate and master. Um, mm. So, yeah, there's clearly, clearly some um, work gone into this. Yeah, and in fairness, I think it's a process that began a year ago when mm. they introduced a set-piece coach uh, in Andreas Jorgsen. And, and actually, Jova and Jorgsen are quite close. So Jova had the... the he, he was the set-piece coach at Brentford, and he then got signed to go to Manchester City. And Jorgsen came in to his role at Brentford, then moved on to Arsenal and has gone back to Sweden and Jova's come from Man City to Arsenal. Um, so it's kind of a little uh, merry-go-round, a job exchange happening between those two. I yeah. guess Jorgsen turns up at um, Man City next. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's. Uh, I think there has been improvement this season. It almost feels like a simplification. You know, the, the deliveries have been straight into the box. We haven't bothered with quite as many short corners. I think, to be honest, that comes from having a taller team. Um, we've in our centre halves like Gabriel and Tommy Asu. Mm. Um, who's the other one? Ben White. We've got a few targets in there now, um, and the delivery from Smith Rowe and Saka has been excellent. I really enjoyed Gabriel's goal. I mean, I'm I'm not sure. It's difficult to discern like to what extent he knows where he's putting that header and to what extent he's just getting on it. But either way, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's it's one of those where if you arrive at that kind of speed and you're looking to you know uh, flick a ball that's traveling at speed as well, you're kind of hoping that it's just going to fly in. But I mean, it could not have gone in um, in a more unsavable no. position. Casper Schmeichel just kind of stood there and was like, ah, fuck. Because there's sort of literally like a, a 360 nothing. swivel almost as he makes contact, yeah. isn't he? And it kind of carries it into the far corner. But there's, I mean, that's the thing about set pieces. There's very little you can do to stop that goal. It's great delivery, great run, great header. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think you're a defender who Gabriel ran off. I don't know who it was. I'd have to watch it again. Probably could have, could have done better. Um, I think True. if you're if you're conceding that goal, you're looking at it going well. You know, we should be doing better defensively there. We can't let a guy just run in and get a free header. Um, you know, I do think he was challenged. Uh, I'm not trying to take anything away from Gabriel here because I think he showed real desire to get on the end of that and to show that kind of movement. But I'm sure if you were to look at it from a Leicester perspective, there was a defender who you're pointing at going, Man, that was a bit Mustafi from him, you know? That is true. But I just think the quality of cross that we've been delivering into those near post areas has been really excellent. And mm. I think... I, I always think that an attacking player who's got the run on it, on on somebody has got the advantage in that situation. So, yeah, I, I mean, look, I'm pleased for him as well because he should be doing that. Mm. He's really got the aerial presence. He's got the power to do that more regularly and be a, a real threat. Yeah, I'm just looking at it again here. Whoever the 42 is... For so that's Sumare. Sumare, I yeah. I think he was a bit weak. I mean, it, it's... It's a really good run. The timing is great, but you know he just literally ran off him. 
And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, it's a, it's a really good header, really good header. And Schmeichel's just looking at it going, oh, look at that. I just spotted a lady in the background who was distraught at the ball hitting the back of the net. One of my favorite things <laughs> in football that is fans reacting. is just that kind of, oh, uh, as the uh, camera cut away from him. So, yeah, look, a really bright start. And he is a threat, isn't he? It's not the first time he scored yeah. goals for us. Um, maybe one of the uh, not underestimated parts of his game, but he's fairly consistent in terms of his, his attacking threat. So... It's nice to have him back in that sense, as well as the defensive sense, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit later on in in the show. Definitely, definitely. uh, Second goal, Leicester gave away possession. We worked it down the right-hand side. Saka took it on, played it into Lacazette. I thought he might have taken a first-time shot there, but he cut inside and not necessarily lost the ball, but it got away from him. It squirted into the path of Smith-Rowe, who was arriving at exactly the right time. Um, and I think I think that's a decent finish. When you look at the angle from behind the goal, there's a clatter of legs for him to get that ball through. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I just love the way he arrived, to yeah. be honest. I thought it was reminiscent of... I feel like we talk about Robert Perez and Freddie Jumberg in relation to Emil Smith-Rowe quite a lot. Uh, and I think with good reason, because they just mm. had that knack of finding the right spot in the penalty area. I mean, this was a very Perezian uh, yeah. moment, I thought. Yeah, I thought so too. Uh, and it's really promising from Smith-Rowe. Tim wrote his column last week on, on Ars blog about Emil Smith-Rowe and some, yeah, of the, yeah. um, some of the advancements that he's making in terms of his game and in terms of his end product. And if you haven't read it, I'll put a link to that in the show notes right now so you can just click through on your app and have a read of that. And Scott, uh, doing the By the Numbers for Ars blog News over the weekend, uh, had a little section on Smith-Rowe as well. Three goals in the Premier League so far this season uh, which is more than he had all of last season which was two 14 shots so far this season which was more than he had all of last season which was 13 um 1.6 key passes per 90 which is up 3.3 progressive passes per 90 which is up from 2.6 you know he's really improving in the in the aspects of the game that he needs to in order to provide that end product as a number 10 it's really promising what he's doing yeah, and playing a lot of football too. I mean, he mm. played three games this week. I think you know he was one of the only players in the squad to to do that, um, and not showing too many signs of wear and tear. Which for a player who struggled a lot with mm. injuries and the fitness side of things earlier in his career is really really encouraging as well. Just on that second goal, um, you know, it, it's really interesting how it came about because I think what happened was that Nuno Tavares actually lost the ball on yeah. the halfway line and it was one of the first moments in the game where I worried that Leicester would hurt us. I remember Vardy breaking away from him and uh, he made a bit of a hash of it, Vardy, sort of played a, a miscued pass to Madison. Was it not but, the other way around? Was it not Madison to Vardy or am I uh, wrong? I, th- I can't... Uh, no, I think... Let me have a look. I'm actually watching it now. So Vardy is inside his own half... It's a bad pass to Madison and then a pass that does get intercepted. So basically he plays it behind Madison when he should play in front of him. Right. And it means that Madison then miscontrols and can't keep possession. And it's interesting, like we talk about Arsenal looking hungrier off the ball. Lacazette is the guy putting pressure on Madison, probably about 35 yards from his own goal there. And Mm. I really liked how quickly our attack developed. Something that we're doing much better is getting from back to front at greater speed. Mm. We all saw the stats last season about it takes Arsenal the longest to get to goal and they have the most possession in their own third. 
And that's really changing. We mm. are a much more direct force. And credits Thomas Partey, who played yeah. a really nice ball out to Bukayo Saka. Um, and then Lacazette, you know, to be fair to him, covers about 50 yards to arrive in yeah, the box. Yeah. I think, you know, he doesn't, he might have done slightly better with it once he gets there. But if you get the possession in the box and you try to beat a man, sometimes you'll get the break. Smith Rowe gambles and finishes really well. So, yeah, I, I liked that goal. I liked the speed at which we uh, broke and threatened mm. Leicester. And I thought Saka offered that throughout the game really particularly in the first half uh, he really had the better of his his wing back on that side it was giving them a lot of problems in that channel yeah I agree I agree I know like there was I saw some people talking about him after the game and saying well, it wasn't his best game but like he got an assist and he was really involved in the second goal and he did mm. provide threat down there and I think you know having this I mean there was another bit wasn't there maybe between the first goal and the second goal where Smithrow just roasted the fullback he yeah. just sort of stepped behind. I don't know how he did it. He just sort of, uh, the cross in the end wasn't great. But but having that threat down the wings really is a, an important part of, you know, trying to play the way that we want to play and see this Arsenal team, you know, play with a bit of panache and a flourish here and there. So, yeah, look, 2-0. And I think it's fair to say Leicester came back into it pretty well. Um I think there's a natural tendency to sort of sit off a bit when you go 2-0 up away from home. You don't want to overexpose yourself. You don't want to let the opposition back into it. I don't know that Leicester had a huge amount of threat in that first half. I know there was a, a Ramsdale save from Iheanacho. Mm -hmm. But that brings us to the moment um, of the game when, when Leicester got the free kick outside the area. I mean, it was... The second time that Ben White <laughs> conceded a foul there, um, yeah. there was a free kick that Madison hit into the wall early on. Um, but, I mean, what is there to say about this save? Um, it's just an amazing piece of goalkeeping because pretty much everybody in that ground thought that ball was going in. Mikel Arteta said, I thought it was a goal. Brendan mm -hmm. Rodgers on the sideline with his hands in the air. Vardy is standing there with his hands in the air. Madison himself is wheeling away to celebrate and then puts his hands on his head in disbelief at the save that, that Ramsdale makes. And it's the strength of the hand, I think, when he makes his way across to get to the ball, to get to the flight of the ball, the strength of that left hand in that, in that lizard glove is just amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you had a very timely interview with David Seaman yeah. on Friday on the Ask Us, which if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it because it's really interesting, particularly talking about Ramsdale. And he spoke about his foot speed. Yeah. And I think he does take uh, two or three very very quick steps before he plunges to make that save. Mm. Um but I agree, the hand, the strength of the hand also made me think of David Seaman in terms of that iconic Sheffield United save, you know, where it was sort of on the line and he yeah. managed to claw it out. There was definitely an element of that. I think the reason it's such a, a good save is that the advantage is very much with the free kick taker in that situation because the free kick is so central. Mm. It gives Ramsdale a problem because... He, uh, Madison, he knows, can go either side. And he said afterwards, I was more worried about him actually going into the, yeah. the into my corner. So I think maybe he did give himself a fair bit of work to do in terms of sort of leaving the, the using the wall to protect the other mm. side rather than his positioning. But yeah, it is a, 
it is a phenomenal save. And it, it was one of those moments, I was actually at the stadium uh, in the press box, and it was just one of those moments where journalists sort of, you don't get this a lot, but there was kind of audible gasps, you know, and people yeah. sort of looking round at each other like, what have we seen here? And it's the first save, but I think that... Probably an overlooked aspect of it is just how quick he gets up yep. to the second ball as well. Um, I, I when he made the save against Spurs, you know the the one from the deflected uh, Son shot that he tipped onto the bar. Um, mm. I was like, that's kind of a. Uh, it felt like a kind of once in a lifetime save. Like it was kind of ridiculously audacious, and I thought, well, you know. Fair play to him, but like that's just something you just see every now and again, but I mm. wouldn't expect to see it anytime soon. So to see another one like that in relatively close was quite amazing, really. And something someone pointed out to me about the Spurs save, um, it was my friend David actually on the Ask Blog Forum, and he was saying, when you watch that, you see Ramsdale after he tips the ball onto the bar, as he's still in midair, his head turns and he sort of looks back to where it's rebounding. Yeah. Uh, and there's a similar moment in this save where he he dives, he stops the ball with his hand, but his head uh, sort of pivots to look at where the rebound is going and where Johnny Evans is heading. So as soon as he hits the ground, he's straight back up. Mm. And yeah, it was... It must be very satisfying as a goalkeeper to have a moment like that where all your work on the training ground kind of crystallises in, you know, what will be a very, very memorable set. Yeah, I mean, some of the pictures of it are just astonishing. Um, from the perspective of it, like his body shape. I know some of it is the kit, where there's this sort of lighter green <laughs> yeah, bit underneath yeah. the kit, which is a bit distracting. It's like an optical illusion in some ways. But there's a brilliant picture. I don't know if you've uh, seen this one, uh, where he's sort of flying across the goal with his hand in the air, but he's... He has this look of serenity on his face. Mm. It's not like, oh, I got to get it. It's like, I'm going to get this. Everything mm. will be okay. And yeah, I mean, it's it's a brilliant piece of goalkeeping. Um, you're right to point out the bit of the, you know, the getting up again to block the second one, where I think maybe there's a touch of good fortune, but I, I think you earn that good fortune, you know, by doing what you do for the first one and then, then reacting as quickly. Thomas Partey got it away. Um, mm. Yeah, credit to Thomas Partey. We probably aren't talking about that save quite so much, obviously, if it, if it <laughs> ends up in the net two seconds later. So yeah. um, he did well to react and be there to clear the ball because it, it was spinning in, you, you'd probably imagine, even though Ramsdale did get to the second. Yeah, and like the timing of it as well, I think, is is important too. It was just it was a before. Huge moment, yeah. Just before halftime. And I think Leicester had come back into it and, you know, at 2-1... That's a psychological issue that you have to deal with when you go in at the break. You know, you've played pretty well. You've had a great start, but they're back into it. There's a whole half to go. Um, you know, so it, it's it's a really important time to make a save. I mean, I know it, it's an important save at any time in a game, but particularly just before the break. And, and Leicester did make a couple of changes. They brought on Harvey Barnes and Lookman. Mm-hmm. Um and they changed the shape, you know. They, they, they went did, to back yeah. Four, I think, and and had wingers, and and it improved them. It, it improved did. them a lot. I thought it did. And, and look, seeing as we're we're on this, 
we had a couple of questions about this um, particular issue. Like the second half, Leicester, I think, were were very good. And obviously Ramsdale was busy. Um, Highbury libra- uh, librarian, who is at N5 librarian, said, we appear to switch from all-action front-footedness to cautious passivity. To what extent is this due to... A, the game state, B, brittle brittle confidence, C, lack of fitness. And there was another one from uh, Sidney Carton, who's at the Arse Gas, who says, um, why do you think we've such trouble continuing to play as we were when going a couple of goals up? I understand the drop when you're Liverpool and you're thrashing United 5-0 and the ebbs and flows of a normal game, but the drop-offs do seem quite... Pronounced. So I'm quite curious as to what you think about that. I think this is not a team who have a vast amount of experience mm. being in that position. You know, when they got that second goal in the first half, I did kind of think in my head, like, do they know what to do now? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's not often that they capitalise yeah. and get themselves into that position. And I think there was an element of... Um, that to it I just think that this is something that they needed to go through I also think that we have to credit Leicester Uh, you know I know it's an Arsenal podcast and we look at everything through that lens but I think they played a lot better in Mm. the second half Um, could Arsenal have played better certainly certainly but I'm not too concerned about it I think that the, the benefit of them kind of having to defend that lead will will tell in time. Mm. I think it was quite an important thing for them to go through. And I wonder if they get into that position again, will they have a bit more confidence to continue playing the way the way they were? Yeah, I I, I like I can't say for sure, but I do feel like a maturity is part of it, you know? Yeah. That this is a a, a, a young team and B a team that isn't together that long in its current iteration because we do have the new right back, the new goalkeeper, the new central defender, the relatively new central defender, the new left back, the new central midfielder. You know, mm. there is a lot that's new in this team. And I feel like you're right to say, I think when, when they when they play games like this and when they come out on top in games like this, I think the confidence it will give them and the, the, the experience it will give them is invaluable because you know you can do it. Um but I think it's a it's a maturity thing, and I just wonder maybe if um, that's something we're just going to have to go through. It's not something you can just make yourself good at in an instant, or by doing a lot of stuff on the training ground. I mean, you can you can um, do game states and various game scenarios and what have you, but you kind of have to go out there and do that and just go through the ringer a little bit with with uh, a team like this. I think that is going to be the way it is. Maybe we could look for a bit more from our substitutes. Um, I mean, Lacazette was taken off pretty quickly into the second half because A, he looked tired, and B, I think we actually needed to change something. Um, Definitely. And I think, you know, I don't think Odegaard was brilliant, but I also think he did make a difference in the same way that he did against... Um, was it Palace or Villa? I can't quite remember um, when he came on for Lacazette as well. Uh, he, he made a couple of good chances for, for Bukayo Saka, one, one of which I think he just cracked over the bar, but another was a good shooting chance. So, yeah, we could look for a bit more from our substitutes, but I think there's, there's sort of a natural cautiousness. You're 2-0 up. 
you maybe want to play the game a bit more in their half, but you also don't want to leave a load of space for like Leicester wingers to run into. And, you know, they're, they're a quick team. They're a good team. They're technically good. We saw by virtue of the chances that they created, you know, that they can cause you problems. And I think mm. when they start, there's sort of like a a momentum that goes with that. That's really quite difficult to to deal with unless you're super, super efficient on the break. And I'm not sure we were. There were a couple of times. There was one, I think, Smith Rowe had maybe two or three passes that he could have made, and he just played the wrong pass, like a fourth pass, which was just completely wrong. Um, you know, when you have those moments on the break where you could perhaps get the third goal, which just kills the game, you're going to have to deal with defending. And I think what's what's impressive about the performance is that we have the players who are capable and willing to do that. Like Ramsdale had a great second half, but there were a couple of chances that went just wide. Gabrielle and Ben White um, made a lot of clearances, a lot of blocks. Tommy Asu was good again. You know, uh, the the central defensive partnership while, or central midfield partnership, while I don't think it gets a lot of credit, um, I think they were very tidy. They were very organized, very together, and I think that really helped also. Yeah, I think, listen, there were tactical things Arsenal could have done better. I think bringing Odegaard on was clearly partly because we were struggling to keep the ball. Um, in that second half, I think the distribution from Ramsdale from the goalkeeper was less accurate in that second half and we didn't retain it as well. Um, so, you know, there were things Arsenal could have done to get more of a foothold in that game. I do think that a lot of Premier League games are like this, basically, mm. and that what Arsenal did was capitalise on the period where they were on top and 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 get the first goal. And that it can be defining in so many matches. I mean, I think Arsenal would like to have had more possession in the second half, would like to have had more of a firm foothold, but probably in, in almost any eventuality would have come under some sustained pressure mm. in that period. And I actually thought by the last 15, 20 minutes, Arsenal were coping a lot better yes. and were threatening on the break. You'd mentioned the Saka chances, and I thought there could be a goal here potentially mm. for Arsenal. Arguably, there should have been a sending off as well. Um I mean, let's talk about that quickly. I thought that was just a ridiculous decision that that wasn't a red card. I agree. I completely agree. It was like I saw the Laporte red card for Man City. And I think the one, the Evans on on Aubameyang was worse. Not least because, you know, Aubameyang is quick. And if he's got the wrong side of Evans, there's no way that Evans is getting close to him. It's absolutely denying a goal-scoring opportunity. I know it was a long way from goal, and we can laugh about this again, but, you know, I wrote last week on the blog about this sort of um, a made-up, if if that was Granit Xhaka scale to uh, a foul as to whether or not it would be a red card. Like, if that's Granit Xhaka, that's a red card. You know, I just do not understand how well, that was only a yellow card. If it's Imeric Laporte, it's a red card. Yeah. If it's the guy Konza Villa that yeah. we saw yesterday, he was sent off. And I think both of those were less egregious than I agree. Johnny Evans. Um, and frankly, it should have been a, a Ramsdale assist uh, to cap his performance because it was his long pass from the mm. back that played Aubameyang in. And uh, yeah, I just thought that was absurd. That would have absolutely killed the game. So I thought there were still sort of encouraging signs from Arsenal even in that period. I, I have to say, like, 
I think, you, you know, they see the possession, they can see a lot of chances, but I do think that over the course of the season, they may derive more from the way in which they defended their lead and the way in which they protected their goal. I just think for those centre-halves, for that back four, for that goalkeeper, this was a big game in their development. Um, I hope I'm right, because our next away game is Anfield, so it might have to be. But yeah, yeah I, I, I think this was a... You know, this was kind of a, a, an important fire for them to be forged in, in some yeah, ways. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think you can be a little bit concerned about that aspect of it for sure. Yeah, uh, uh, but at the same time, I think you have to give them credit for the way that they, uh, as a team, collectively worked on the day, and and the way that we've worked as a team since those opening three games of the season has been really um, consistent. You know, there's been no lack of effort. Um, there were a couple of moments, I think, in the in the early part of the second half where I think maybe our concentration lapsed a little bit. There were a couple of moments which allowed some chances, which which hasn't been the case of late. But I think we did get it together. Um, I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. But, oh, yeah, I mean, look, overall, when you're coming home from Leicester with three points and a clean sheet and some really positive aspects to your performance, you know, the concerns that you might have about that thing are are really offset by the positives on the day because that is a big, big result. It's a big performance. I think it was probably, of these four games, the biggest test that we were looking at. You know, when you looked at the previous four games, it was the North London derby. How were we going to come through that? In these four games, it's definitely the Leicester away game that I was looking at thinking, well, this is going to be the test. This -hmm. will tell us plenty about this team and about where we're going and how we're getting there. And we won the game. We kept a clean sheet. And it's important, not just because every game is important, but it's important because we did it against a rival. If you know, As much as we don't necessarily want to think of it that way, Leicester are a team that are going to be battling for the European places. And Absolutely. we took points off them at home, and that's, that's important. That's important. Yeah, you know? I think it could be really important come the end of the season as well. You know, these are big, big games against teams who, whether we like it or not, we are in the mix with. And and Leicester had had a good October too, let's mm. not forget. I mean, you know, they beat Manchester United 4-2 at that stadium. They went to Spartak Moscow and won. They went to Brentford mm. and won. Uh, they were coming off a victory on penalties over Brighton in the Cup. So they were in decent shape coming into this game. And like us, they'd found a system they've found a way of playing there were signs their season was just getting going mm. and so for Arsenal to go and win there is really big and you know we were we I think we all loved the Aston Villa performance we mm. loved what Arsenal produced over the course of that 90 minutes but this result is excellent you know the yeah. performance I think you could query aspects of the second half did we assert enough control I think Arsenal have got a way to go yet before they can really control games but as a as a result you can have no complaints about this whatsoever I think it's a really big three points it's a big clean sheet um and it helped our standing in the table, frankly, no end. I mean, I, I can just about stomach looking at the Premier League table without it making me feel all queasy, you know, well, yeah. uh, it, which it did pretty much until this point in the season. Well, sure. I mean, we were we were 
we were fifth at one point uh, over the weekend and, and things have changed a little bit. I think we're in sixth at the moment. But, you know, we're three points off the top four, I think it is. Is that right? Um, yeah, I think we're three points off Man City, which, you know, uh, granted they've dropped some unexpected points, but nobody would have anticipated that after that 5-0 mauling at the Etihad. Um, no. I mean, what's going on with West Ham? Fucking hell. Uh, yeah, I watched them yesterday. I mean, they yeah. you know they looked excellent, I have to say. Um and it's funny, I tweeted saying, you know, hopefully they fall away sooner rather than later. And a lot of people replied saying, what has Arsenal come to that we're hoping West Ham fall away? But I do think we need to be realistic about where we are. And, and West Ham, Leicester, maybe Man United, maybe Tottenham, who will come on to, no doubt, plenty mm. of news from, from them. Um, Everton, these are the teams in our kind of little mini league mini table and the games against those teams will weigh heavy come the end of the season yeah i don't think it even needs to be that binary i want every team who's above us to kind of fall away you know what i mean yeah we've got to keep doing what we uh, need to do but uh, you know there's nothing wrong with look west ham have been one of the form teams in the last 12 months you know they had a very very good season last season and you know it looks like it wasn't a fluke uh, Mm. because of where they are right now i mean they're in fourth but we're only three points behind them and i think you know that is a very pleasing place to be considering how much um, angst and and worry there was after those opening three games of the season. Um, so to be where we are right now is is very pleasing. I also really liked Mikel Arteta's comments after the game when he was talking to BT Sport and they said, look, you're up in fifth now. You know, I I know there are some managers out there who would have been like, yeah, look, you know, I've responding to criticism with a bit of like I told you so We've or whatever a lot of people wrong yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean it's like yeah see you're all a bit quick to talk but there wasn't anything like that he said we need to carry on we haven't done anything we've won a a couple of matches. We're not where we want to be still. There are a lot of things to improve. Let's keep humble, working hard, and go game by game. There are a lot of positives. I'm not going to say anything against any of that, but then again, there are a lot of things to improve. And I really enjoyed that that response from Mikel Arteta because there is a short-term um, short-termism about football, about the way football is viewed. You know, a player or a club can be great one week and then it's a disaster yeah. the next week. Um, and we all know the truth lies somewhere in the middle. But for the manager to come out and just say, okay, this is good, we're going in the right direction, but we still have a lot to do, it's self-evident. But I like the fact that he said it out loud and is trying to keep these players focused on doing the the nuts and bolts of a football season which is going to a place like Leicester and difficult which is difficult and taking three points and it'll be going uh, you know into the Watford game fully focused and not taking anything for granted because we are not yet in any sort of position where we as a football team as a club as a fan base can look at a game and say yeah we just have to turn up to win that because that's not where we are. No, and and we won't get there this season. You know, we're a long way from that, in my opinion. Um, I think every game uh, is dangerous, and I think that there will be inconsistency. But I really liked how measured Mikel Arteta mm. was as well. You know, he really kind of put the brakes on any um, excessive hype. And I think that's right. Even in the case of Ramsdale, you know, when he was asked, oh, is he going to be pushing for England number one and mm. stuff like that? He was like, well... 
He's just got to keep working hard at the training, keep playing. I think that's exactly the right tone and exactly the right attitude. And I have to say, I do think generally that is something Mikel Arteta has done well. I think he is often, uh, I think he's generally honest about his team and their failings and and mm. their distance from where they need to be. And one of the things that frustrated me about the previous manager, Unai Emery, is that you'd see Arsenal put in a really disjointed performance and afterwards he would be full of praise, you know, and it, it left you with that kind of gap of, well, what are we mm. aiming for here? You know, are you saying that's what we meant to do? Whereas I think Arteta, in my opinion, is a lot has a lot more clarity about that was not good enough and, you know, this is where we need to get to. And I thought, yeah, his post-match press conference was a, a good example of that. Yeah. And he's absolutely right. We, we you know, we, we have a long way to go still. It's just... Um, nice and a relief to have put together this little run that's yeah. provided a bit of breathing space. Yeah, and look, it's nice to be able to watch Arsenal games and enjoy them, you know, enjoy aspects of them, some of the characters, and we've talked about the freshness of the team and that helping and, yeah. you know, to try or to, not try, but to have rediscovered is the wrong word, but just to feel a little bit more energised about mm. the team, about the games. Like a lot of what's happened in the last 20 months some of it because of what we've done, but also because of the way the world has been and lockdown and behind closed doors stuff. And football has felt like a bit of a chore at times. And it's great to be able to enjoy things. So when something like the Ramsdale save happens, you can just go big on it and just enjoy that thing because it's part of what really it, it grabs us. It's part of the game. It's part of the enjoyment of the game. You know, the, there's, you know, things going on at the club. Like it's impossible not to love Ramsdale because of the kind of character that he is. You know, the, the bit where he was doing the, your shit, you know, for, from the Leicester fans, you know, the, the, the away fans, the Saka Smith Rowe song. There's just something there that wasn't. Um, and I don't know how long it will last and I hope it lasts a long time, but, Maybe what we're seeing right now is is the start of something that we can build on, right? So yeah, foundations. I mean, I, I said a couple of minutes ago, a lot of this team is really new. Like, it's really new. Um, Ramsdale new, Tommy Asu new, Ben White new, Gabriel in, only in a second season, Partey only in a second season, Kieran Tierney still relatively new as a player, Tavares new, Lokonga new, Smith Rowe has only been a first team regular for not even 12 months, 10 months, you know, mm. Saka 19 or, you know, what, maybe he's 20 now, I don't know, but like still a very young player. There isn't a lot that's old and tiresome about this team, you know? And, if we can maintain this trajectory and there will be bumps in the road and there are going to be days where it doesn't work uh, and we're going to have to deal with those and cope with those. But if we're putting in place the kind of foundations and blocks that can get us to this point after the start to the season that we had, you know, we're only three points off the top four. We're in the territory that we all want Arsenal to be in. Mm -hmm. The question now is, can we maintain that? Can we keep it going, not just for seven games, but for the remaining or remaining seven months of this season? But it feels like it's possible now. You know what I mean? There's a possibility to Arsenal that wasn't there or didn't feel like it was there n not just a few weeks ago. Yeah, no, not a lot of people 
uh, saw this coming, I think. Uh, you know, the mood was so deflated after the difficult start that Arsenal had. But as you say, a, a, a new broom has been swept through the team even since then. Um, there is a very fresh look about things. And I think there's a real feel-good factor around the team and the club more generally at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I see that online. I see that in the stadium. You see it, it amid the players in their interactions with each other. And that's just so nice, you know, after a very sort of fractious period. Uh, I'm really encouraged by that. And I, I'm hoping, like you, this is the start of something. We're, mm. we're not going overboard. We're not saying... yeah. We fixed it and, you know, now we're free and easy. But there is, there are some sort of sparks there mm. for sure. Um, and, and that's exciting. And just, I also think something that could be dismissed is just what a likeable group this is. I mean, you mentioned yeah. Ramsdale, um, who I think has been a catalyst for, uh, you know, the relationship between the team and the fans really improving and developing. But I also think, you know, there are countless characters in the team you could say that about. How can you not love um, Smith, Rowe and Saka, for example? Yeah. Um, there's just uh, something very... You, you want to root for these guys. And I think maybe some Arsenal fans had got to the point with previous iterations of the team where they were a bit exhausted by them and a bit... Um, and sort of run out of enthusiasm for them. Mm. But I don't sense that's the case at the moment. I feel like people are really rooting for these players and uh, that's a nice thing as a fan to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. It's just so much more enjoyable than the alternative. And and look, it's completely reductive to say it. Nobody likes to lose. Nobody likes when we play poorly. And it's much easier to connect when things are going well. But... There has been a really good response to what was uh, like a cataclysmic start to the season. And I don't want to sort of relitigate this or anything like that because, you know, I know you spoke about it at the time and there was a, mm. you know, there were people who who felt like, well, it's just three games. You've got to give them time. There are other people who felt like those three games were more representative of the reality than, than just three games. Mm -hmm. But the response since then has been really good. And I don't just mean in terms of results. I mean that you can see that there's a, there's a team, a group of players that are really working hard. Um, they still have a lot to improve. We know that. We can see that. Um, and that's what Arteta said. But what they're doing is playing in a way and performing in a way and, and playing with a kind of commitment to the club, I guess, to the shirt, to the badge, whatever you want to call it, that allows you a little bit of wiggle room when things don't go quite as well as as um as we would like them to you know so from that perspective yeah. i'm really pleased i know we all, we still have sort of issues with with um the quality of the football or the consistency of the quality of the football and i think that's part of what arteta thinks needs to improve but i don't think anyone could take issue with how this team has performed and how the guys of of like got each other's backs, they're running for each other, they're working hard, they're defending, they're putting themselves on the line, they're making blocks and clearances, and they're putting the yards in, which is what enables you to get results like the results we've had since then. So for me, I, I find that part of it really, really pleasing. 
Absolutely. And results are kind of, they're what insulate the team and allow them to grow. And they needed those desperately. Mm. And thankfully, they've got a few now. I think this Leicester one, it feels like a, you know, a, a, a bit of a, it's, it's a small, it's a big step. Let's say there have been some little steps and bigger steps, and this I think was a bigger step in mm. the right direction. So, mm. very, very pleased with that. All right. Well, look, will we leave it there for part one? Yes, let's do that. Let's and we'll do come that. back mm. with part two. We better talk about Tottenham eventually. Yeah. Well, we'll yeah, maybe we'll start with that. Uh, we'll come back with your cash, uh, questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. A quick thank you to all the people who have signed up in the, in the last week or so. Uh, we did a, a revamp on Arsblog News, um, design revamp, and yeah, we so. basically removed pretty much all of the advertising. I think there's one ad on the site, uh, and that's it. We're going to do something similar with the main site as well. So we're going to get rid of pretty much all the advertising, uh, which does come at a cost. And I just want to thank all the people who have helped support us. So if you feel like supporting the site, make it more ad-free, better for you guys to use and read and scroll and comment and all the rest of it, it's uh, patreon.com forward slash arseblog, as well as all the uh, extra bits and pieces that you get on there. So thank you very much indeed. Um, you mentioned the unmentionables. Do you have a question mm. about that? Um, because I, I well, sort of I'd, blank I out. I don't actually, because it's the, the news about um, Nuno getting the sack broke sort of, you know, just as I was prepping mm. for the podcast. So uh, I don't have a question to hand, but I'm sure there have been some. Um, shall I have a look? Yeah, why not? Let's see here. Uh, I actually had my, I actually had some... Uh, Nuno out tweets good to go because I was thinking we're not going to get long to enjoy these <laughs> uh, and Spurs beat me to the punch there oh no some good ones any good ones uh, there were some great ones there were some great oh. ones you know just lamenting Spurs fans but um, I, I, did you watch the Spurs United game I watched the first 
half, I think. And then I had the second half on in the background. I wasn't really paying a great deal of attention to it because, you know, it's Spurs. It was quite incredible. I mean, when they when the fans turned on Harry Kane and started booing him, I was like, this is great television. But sadly, I knew it could not uh, last much longer. It was very clear that... Mm. The manager had completely lost uh, the supporters there. And so I'm not surprised that they have terminated his contract. Um, and I, and it seems to be heading uh, in the direction that they're going to land Antonio Conte, which I'm sure will have some Arsenal fans, uh, let's say it might dampen their mood this morning. I'm not worried about it. Well, do you want me to explain I, I'm not why? especially worried. I'll explain, explain to you why. why. I'll explain to you why. It's the history of the Tottenham. Basically, <laughs> it doesn't really matter who they appoint as manager because their Spurs DNA will reduce that man to rubble eventually. Mm. In It's like night follows day. It just is an inevitability. It will go wrong. That's what happens at this club. That's what history has taught us. The history of yeah. the Tottenham. It just, you know, obviously he's a great manager and you would prefer them not to have a great manager. I mean, I would question why a great manager would go there. I have to no, say. No, I mean, I'm very surprised at that. I presume they're throwing a lot of money at him and I guess making him assurances. Yeah, about what they're doing he's going to want some serious, uh, serious money for transfers, isn't he? I mean, it would be amazing if... They said they would give him money for transfers and then didn't. And like in his first transfer window, he just left. Well, the thing is, he's not going to be there a long time. You know, he doesn't really do more than three years anywhere. Right. Mm. And I, I famous last words and all that. But I'm not sure you can turn this Tottenham squad around in that short period of time. I, I I think Spurs are a club who need to do something similar to what Arsenal have done. They need to invest heavily in young players to rejuvenate that ageing mm. squad. And I think they needed a manager who could lead that rebuild. Um, and they've gone for a guy who is very much a win-now coach mm. and I don't see that they've got a win now squad no I don't personally. think so I don't think so and, I, and I'm not I'm not guaranteeing anything in terms of like how we finish relative to them but like I don't Antonio Conte is not going to win a league with this Tottenham team I, I, I'm very confident about that I like this I just went to Wikipedia to see the teams that he's managed you know in the periods of time yeah. that he's there and it's like 2016 2018 Chelsea 2019 21 Inter Milan 2021 Tottenham Hotspur but in brackets alleged <laughs> like when people say alleged club. <laughs> allegedly when they you know make a he doesn't want to he doesn't want to own up to it I, I mean yeah listen it's a good appointment for them he's a good coach don't get me wrong mm. but they will always be Spurs that's I, exactly I really, it. in my heart, believe that. Yeah. Um, and also, I am relieved, if you're looking for a positive on this, that Manchester United haven't hired Antonio Conte, because if you ask me, they have got a squad that could win something right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wonder, is there some itching going on at the Old Trafford, uh, in the Old Trafford boardroom? Because he's available. I mean, it's not to say that, you know, he couldn't go there 
at some point. But I think you're right. United have a squad, certainly in, in attacking terms, um, who've got the ability to do a lot more than they're doing. So Yeah. I mean, and, and uh, you know, granted they took Spurs apart the weekend. They, and I mean, more they, money. They, yeah, they've got money as well. So... Yeah, I mean, listen, it's 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 disappointing that Nuno didn't get to sort of see his mission through. He was doing very well. I was really enjoying his work yeah. at Spurs. Solid. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I'm okay with it. Mm. I'm okay with it. Uh, I think Conte's got a hell of a job to do there. A hell of a job. Bad Santo. Exactly. Bad Santo. Bad Santo. Okay, uh, let me ask you a question from Robbie yeah. on Twitter, who's at L O Breary or Lobreary, and he said, "I'm starting to think Gabriel might be world class." <laughs> you lads got views on this? I don't think he's in that bracket yet, but I think I may have said this before, so apologies. But if you were designing a centre half, You'd say, ideally, you know, at least six foot two, six foot mm. three, broad shoulders, powerfully built, aggressive, quick over the ground, decent on the ball. Um, it would be a bonus if he was left footed. Mm-hmm. He ticks all those boxes. So the raw attributes are absolutely there. I really think he could have a, a massive mm. career. Um I would stop short of saying he's world class at this point. He's, you know, he's only on the fringes of his international setup, and he's still a young player. He's not played in the Champions League or anything like that. But um, he looks very good, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, I think we're a bit quick at times to throw out the world class um, categorization, but there's no doubt about it. He looks a much more um, settled and confident player than he did last season, which I think is understandable. It's his second season now. He's had a bit of time to settle into life in England. Um, we keep hearing about the um, the language yeah. issue um, being better, you know, so when you can communicate better on the pitch and off the pitch, you just feel more comfortable in general, you know, in your football life and your personal life, um, you know, when you're living in a, in a foreign country. So, He's been really, really impressive uh, since he came back in. And actually, there was a moment, wasn't it? It was in the first half. I think it was in the first half where he went down and he was getting some treatment. And there was maybe talk about it being a knee problem. Oh, I was yeah. Like, oh. I shit myself. <laughs> Honestly. I, I was like, we we are in big trouble here. Like, he he is the cornerstone of that defense. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, I think the partnership with, with White is developing um, really nicely. They do seem to complement each other well. But yeah, that was a worry because maybe there is some concern that the drop-off between, you know, our, our so-called first choice and what lies beneath, if you like, is is quite big. <laughs> What lies, what lies beneath? Suitably, <laughs> sort of frightening. Yeah, a bit of a Halloween uh, one there, but you know what I mean. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, I agree. And actually, zombie Rob holding going onto the pitch. <sighs> if Arteta was insistent on the kind of left foot, right foot thing, I think the it becomes even more concerning because 
I think the gap between white and holding, while substantial, is not as uh, large as the gap between Gabrielle and Pablo Marie. I yeah. think that is a, a gulf. That's, that's to a be chasm. Honest, based chasm. on what we've seen this season. Mm. You have to say that. Um, and so, you know, he would be, Pablo Marie would be quite far down the queue for sort of potential replacement players. But hopefully, mm. we don't have to deal with that issue because. He's been excellent. I think he personally is unbeaten in about 14 games now um, as an Arsenal player because he obviously wasn't part of that dreadful start that we made. Mm. Um, and like I say, I just think he's got all the tools. And I also think there's a, a personality that's coming out of him now. Mm -hmm. Um in a similar way to Ramsdale, he seems to sort of galvanise those around him. He's got a good relationship with the fans. He was like in amongst them at the at full time. Um, he looks like a leader figure. I mean, he's come from nowhere in that regard. You know, mm. when you were talking about the leaders of this team in pre-season, I think you would have been like, oh, maybe Tierney, you know, Lacaroba, maybe Partey. Gabriel mm. would be right in that mix now. And... That's, again, encouraging. You know, we spoke about people like David Luiz leaving and hoping that might help engender some new leaders. I think you'd have to say Gabriel looks like he could be one of them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, it's um, he's had a very positive season so far and hopefully hopefully he can keep it up. Yeah, and, and, and a great bit of business. I mean, you know, Arsenal's... Uh, business this summer has had some some praise off the back of the Leicester game I praised it in myself but uh, Gabriel last summer I think was a really really shrewd buy and he looks um, like a very worthwhile investment so yeah yeah uh, hats off to him long may it continue okay uh, what about this question this kind of touches on what we were talking about at the end of part one and it's from Drew2903 on the discord and Drew says morning gents after the Palace game, fans were quite down on the team and manager. Now, after a couple of good performances results, performances and results, everything feels much more positive. I think at some point we will get some bad results as it is inevitable in football and inconsistency mm. is likely with a young team. Do you think the positive progress shown recently will help us keep future poor performances in context? Or will questions of the manager again be raised when we have a downturn in form? Feels like we're stuck in a boom-bust cycle at times. Yeah, I mean, it does feel a bit like we go from one extreme to the other. I mean, I'm talking in general terms. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, some of the reaction can be quite polarised. Um, like, it's never quite as bad as you think it is when it's bad, and it's never quite as good as you think it is when it's good. Um Mm -hmm. Like we were talking about, we're building something. It does look like we're building something. I think what we what we can hang on to is that there there's been a plan, obviously, in terms of recruitment, in terms of squad building, in terms of the age profile of the team, and that gives you some confidence that there is a clarity of thought and purpose to what we're trying to do rather than sort of sticking plaster signings and all that kind of stuff. Mm. I think that's one important part of it. Uh, the other is that 
you know, this team still had plenty to prove. This is a manager who has had plenty to prove. I think concerns over um, concerns over Mikel Arteta were understandable. You know, I, I don't dismiss those in any way. So when bad things happen, it's easier maybe to lean into the, well, this is never going to get better. We're never going to be what we are or what we want to be under this manager. Um, I just hope, you know, I think we are in a position where what we've done and the way we've reacted to those opening three games this season, I think has been just so um, solidifying. It feels like a united kind of group. They didn't give up on the manager after those first three games because you don't elicit those performances against Norwich and Burnley, which weren't brilliant or anything, but you don't win those one nils without everybody working hard and singing from the same hymn sheet, you know? So I, I, I hope that when the bad result comes, and I hope it doesn't come for quite a while, we're in a position where we can much more calmly uh, and rationally deal with it. Because I think there was another question here on the, the Discord as well. It comes from... Oh, he doesn't have a name. He's just got emojis. It's, I think it's Globe Man Gunman. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know what else to say. Earthman Gunman. I don't know. Um, some sort of code. Some okay. sort of code. And he said, how does Liverpool and Manchester City dropping points at home to Brighton and Palace respectively refre- uh, reflect on our current draws against those two, in inverted commas, beatable clubs? In my opinion, it's more evidence to the idea that there's almost no guaranteed wins in the Premier League, except for Tottenham, who I'm told get battered everywhere they go. And even when they don't go anywhere, they also get battered. So fair fucks to them for that. But yeah. I think there's something to that. You know, I think there is a... Um, this is a difficult league. There are a lot of good coaches tactically. You know, this is... We're gone beyond the 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 years when, like, there were a lot of journeyman coaches in the Premier League. And there still are a couple. But, you know... Like when Tim Sherwood is managing teams in the Premier League, you know. But I now think we can all agree Antonio Conte might be a step up on Tim Sherwood. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I do think that there is just a lot more to do to win games. Um, and, and look, ultimately we have to be as good as we can be, and we have to play as well as we can play. You know, I still think there's a way to go. We still, I said this in the first half, the consistency of the quality of the football is something that we still need to see before we can um, really bank on it. You know what I mean? The Spurs game was great. The Villa game was great. But like you said, the Palace game was disappointing. Um, so we're, we're, we're still subject to these kind of um, lurches from one thing to another. But the more we can do what we did against Leicester, the more we can do what we did, uh, did against Villa and Tottenham, the more convinced people will be that we can do that on a much more uh, regular basis. And if you can convince people of that, it becomes much easier to deal with days when it didn't go as well as we would like. And I think one final point on this is that I think sometimes when we're in the depths of despair and when things aren't going as well as we would like, we reminisce with extreme rose-tinted glasses on, extreme <laughs> yeah. rose-tinted glasses, which is obviously to take nothing away 
from the best teams that we had and some of the most incredible players and some of the most successful years that this football club has ever had and ever enjoyed. They were brilliant, like amazing. But those guys also had days where it did not go well, where we struggled for a result, where we got beaten by Charlton. You know, Mm. things like that still happened. But there was enough of the other stuff where you could cope with it much better because you knew that if Arsenal played as well as they could play, they could pretty much beat everybody. Mm-hmm. So we're not there yet. We've got to get there. Um, and that's obviously down to Mikel Arteta and the players. But, you know, I like what we've done in this last six or seven weeks. And I think it's a, it's a good building block to make progress on. And I hope we can do that. Yeah, I think the point you make about this league being difficult to get wins it is absolutely right. It feels a bit like boxing in the heavyweight division where kind of everyone has the power to knock you out. Mm. Do you know what I mean? If, yeah. if they land the right punch, it's over. And I feel like that's a bit like the Premier League at the moment. You've really got to be on your game for 90 minutes every single week to get results. And it's the same for everybody. So that's no complaint on our part. But I think we talk about these kind of halcyon days of you know being top four and being comfortable against teams. I think that's very, very difficult now unless you're way ahead of the competition. Um, I think that the the mood has improved a lot. Uh, I think people's frustrations after the Palace game were understandable. I think the reason that things feel a lot better is that it's partly to do with the clear project that you mentioned. I think mm. people have rallied behind that. I think there's belief and support in that and it's it's helped by the fact that the signings have to a man made quite a quick impact in the team Mm. um you know i I said this elsewhere but even if people are reluctant to trust the process they can trust the project to an extent and i do think that provides some comfort i also think that we do have a bit of agency in this as fans you know in terms of we've got a young team a developing team and I think stability in that environment is going to be helpful to them. I think Arsenal, it's an, a sort of a consequence of kind of falling out of contention at the top of the table and mm. becoming a bit more of a mid-table club. But we, there is a slight sense that volatility is in our DNA, that it is always crisis or hype. And I think that that's partly controlled by media narrative, but I think... I think fan sentiment plays a part in that. And like Nuno, he's been bad as Spurs manager, but let's be very clear, it's the reaction of those Tottenham fans that's forced this sacking as early as it has done. I mean, they wouldn't be paying all that money to get rid of him unless they felt like they didn't have a revolt on their hands, which they basically did at White Hart. Yeah, I mean, and let's not forget, they were, uh, you know, Premier League champions after three games. Exactly. So I think that there is a role for supporters in this and and, and I, I hope personally that we wins like this Leicester win and runs like the one we're in the process of putting together and hopefully it continues will create an environment where the inevitable setbacks do not destabilise everything and throw us back into crisis it's, it's, it's difficult it's difficult especially when you've got a manager who for whom many people are already kind of not having him um 
you know, it, it, people are looking for that to a certain extent. But I, I do think that would be really healthy for this group of players if we can try and arrive at a place where we accept there are going to be some bad days, but we generally sort of are comfortable with where we're going. That's yeah. where I personally am. And uh, being the kind of dictator that I am, I want everyone to feel like me. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I, I think it's, it is just down to performances and down to results and, and that growing confidence. But all of those things, you know, that, that come together, that help you believe in what we could be, mm. um, I think are a positive. I'd much rather be in that space than, than anywhere else. Um, mm. But look, that's out of our hands. It's down to these players, down to the managers, coaching staff. Um, as he said, we've done nothing yet. We've won a few games. Keep winning the games. And, you know, the rest will follow, like an Aaron Ramsdale call up to the England squad to be number one, I guess. So Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, is it my turn or your turn? It's your turn. Okay. Here's a couple. First one from Lombardo uh, on the Discord, who I have to give credit for the incredible picture, uh, which is the image for today's podcast on the site and uh, in your podcasting app. So thank you very much uh, to him for that uh, brilliant piece. Uh, He said, with our performances over the last two games, are we seeing the revival of the retro 4-4-2? And do you think this should become our go-to formation for more games? And Boom Shakalaka says, do you think there's room in this 4-4-2 system for Martin Odegaard, could he play the Lacazette role? Well, first thing I'd say, I, I do think Odegaard played a relatively important role against Leicester um, as an option to change things. Mm. Um, but I know that's not the role he'll want for himself coming off the bench for you know no. half an hour. I, I the four four two. Yeah, I mean, you know, whether it's a four four two or four two three one, at the moment Lacazette is the man in possession of that shirt, right? And and Odegaard's got a bit of a battle to get it back. Um, I think he can. I think he will. I think there still will be a bit of a horses for courses approach. I think that the fact that Leicester line up in a similar shape to Villa played into why we kept it the way we did. We also played very well against Villa, mm. but I think a time will come where. Uh, Odegaard will feature and you know while I accept that he's had a bad few weeks in terms of he was quite poor against uh, Villa he's poor against Brighton um, not not Villa Palace sorry and poor against Brighton I think I'm still convinced there's a very good player in there you know against Spurs I thought he was very good I thought against Burnley he was very good and he won us the game with a piece of individual skill from the free kick Um I think his time will come, but I completely understand sticking with something that's working for you right now. And I think Arteta has been right to do that. I think Aubameyang and Lacazette, I think they love playing together. You can debate whether or not it works or how effectively it's worked. I I personally think, for the most part, they when they're close together on the pitch it improves them both. I think they offset each other's weaknesses. I think we saw that when Emery played the kind of three at the back system with two up top and it propelled us to the European League final. Europa League final. Mm. I think they were very good in tandem then. Um, you saw them coming off the pitch, celebrating in the tunnel together at full time. I think they love it and they work hard to make that partnership work. So I can see why you'd stick with it for now, but I'm not excessively worried about Odegaard. I just think it's a long season and his time will come again. What do you think? 
Yeah, pretty much that. Um, I, I wonder if the Lacazette, his recent form and his recent performances and the commitment that he showed in those performances will be in some ways a positive for Odegaard mm-hmm. in that, you know, they might light a fire under him or, or you know... Uh, I just I think, think long- I don't think he doesn't work hard. No, 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 no. That's I don't thing. think so. I just think, you know, he's a 22-year-old player. He's had a couple of weeks of bad form. You're right to point out he won us the game against Burnley. I thought he was very good in uh, some of the other games as well. He's just had a little dip of form. This maybe goes into the the sort of extremes of, of opinion. Um, when a player has a few bad games, they get written off. And... I don't think it's right to uh, to dismiss Odegaard in any way. I mean, he's a player that we've bought not just for this season, but for the future. Um, I think he can work in that system, for sure. I think he can do what Lacazette does in that system, um, because Lacazette dropped quite deep a lot. Um, I know what you're saying about the relationship between himself and Aubameyang, and you know clearly that's one that they've had for a few years now, so they know each other well on and off the pitch. I you know, would like to see Odegaard and Aubameyang start to connect a bit more um, when he does play. But I think he can play in that system for sure. It's no, you know, he does work hard. He is a, a an energetic player. Uh, we mm-hmm. need to see a bit more from him. Um, so, yeah, I'm not especially worried about him either. I think his time will come again. I think he is a player who can play for 90 minutes. We're seeing with Lacazette that he's not really a player who can do much more than 60 minutes anyway. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there might come a point where you think maybe 20 minutes of Lacazette at the end of a game is better than 55 or 60 minutes at the start. You know, mm-hmm. at some point, the investment that you've made in a player who's going to be with you for four or five years um, until the end of his contract um has to take precedence over a guy who isn't going to be here after this season ends, you know? Yeah. So that's not to take anything away from Lacazette, but that's the reality of the situation. I think that's probably what will happen in the, in the coming weeks. Yeah. And I think, look, Lacazette deserves to play. He's really earned that place, but you're right. I mean, look at the fact that Tommy Asu came straight into the team ahead of Chambers and Cedric and Ramsdale came in very quickly ahead of Leno. You know, Lukonga's ahead of Elneny in the pecking order. To give credit to the club, they are generally um, investing in the guys who are part of the future. Mm. And Odegaard is part of the future. And Lacazette, I think we can say almost certainly is not. Um, so I think in the in time that will play out. Mm. Um, and I think he's good enough, Odegaard. That's the thing. I think he's certainly good enough to play. Uh, and and I'm, I think he will. But as I said before, I can completely understand Arteta just kind of leaning into what's working right now. Yeah, um, I saw, yeah, like it, it worked really well against Villa. Why not? The guys yeah. played well. Your reward is you play the next game. If you don't play as well, maybe we change one or two things. Simple as that. That's football. That's the way it works. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought this was an interesting question about the transfer window. So Adam, who's at Adam Don 048, says, after how long can we safely say <laughs> a signing has been a success? I've been happy with all our signings, but still very nervous that after a minor drop in form, parts of our fan base will turn on them and create a negative mm. spiral. I think it's an interesting question, isn't it? Like, at, at what point can you go, oh, well, that worked? 
That is a really good question. I don't think there's any specific time, is there? Um, I mean, I guess the I guess the, the 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 most correct answer would be to say when they leave the club. <laughs> yeah, and you assess and their how time they leave there. the club. Yeah, exactly. And how they leave the club, but. What are we going to talk about, and you know, for the duration of these five-year contracts? I think you have to kind of take a read on it as it goes, don't you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, players can come in and start their career as well, and then they can fall away. I mean, there's always, always, always that, um, as they say in Irish, a grow, like a, a kind of love for a new signing. Right. When they come in, you know, because you you have this idea Ooh, of what I've they might do. I've never heard that. Yeah, it's it's an Irish word. It means kind of like a uh, a love for. I think. Yeah. Right. Like I have a grow for a cheese sandwich right now. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, it happens with pretty much every player that you sign. You know, it happened with Kalasinac, for example, where he came in and everyone thought, "Look at this guy." The honeymoon a, period. Yeah, the honeymoon period, exactly. You know, he scored a goal, he was big and strong, he burst up and down, and then after a while, it didn't quite feel as nice as it did, you know? Mm-hmm. That may happen with some of these signings. Um, I think what we can say safely right now is that they've all had a positive impact on the season so far, you know? To varying levels and varying degrees, they've all had a positive impact on the way we're looking at this team. Yeah. You know? If you have to take a reading right now, you you would have to say, so far, so good. Exactly. the business Arsenal did. Yeah. Like, I don't uh-huh. think any of us can say, right, this guy is going to be uh, an unmitigated success. Unquestionable. There's no way that he's not going to be a success because things happen in football and, and you know, some of it can be out of a player's hands. I mean, look at Lucas Torreira. You know, when he came in, we were like, made, yeah. wow, this guy is bringing things to our midfield that we didn't have. And he did. He did do that. He did have qualities that we were missing. And then, yeah, it didn't work out in the end. And that mm. that can happen. But in that period of time you would say well this was a good signing because he's given us x y and z so it's just a really difficult question to answer all i can say is that i think all of the players that we've brought in have made positive contributions um on the pitch and i think they're bringing something to you know this this youthful arsenal team that fans are finding it easy to connect with i mean speaking of which there were a couple of questions here on the discord um, Johnny B A F C. How impressed are you with no- Nuno Tavares on this form? Does Tierney automatically get the shirt back? And B F Jesus says, has Tavares done enough to provide serious competition when Tierney returns to fitness? I'm, I've been really impressed. I have to say, I think he's exceeded my expectations, um, and I think he's showing uh, really exciting potential and really encouraging aspects to his game. I think. I think personally, I, I I kind of stop short of saying, and therefore he's the first choice left back. Just because I I think Kieran Tierney, for the most part, has been really excellent for Arsenal. And mm. part of the reason Tavares is looking so good now is that Tierney has been underperforming, I think, for the majority of this season. I am hoping that when Tierney comes back, he looks more like uh, the Kieran Tierney 
we know and remember because I, I think that Kieran Tierney is still the first choice. I guess that's an assessment Mikel Arteta will be able to make at close quarters. You know, he'll see him in training. He'll see the sharpness mm. he returns with. But Tavares has done really well. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, what do you make of the kind of battle between him and Tierney for left back and how would, can how only would be, he play it? Can only be positive. Can only yeah. be positive. You know, um, I have no doubts about Kieran Tierney's professionalism or his will to win, but I think we've we've talked about this before on the podcast that when a player doesn't necessarily feel any pressure in his position, it, it can't be. It can sort of lull them into a sense of security about playing. Mm-hmm. You know, it is good to know that there is another player who, if you're not in form, is going to come into the team and take your place. Keeps you sharp, keeps you motivated. Um, You know, so I I think it's a good thing. I mean, look, this time last year, if Tierney was out, we had Kolasinac. And in the second half of the season, when Tierney was out, we didn't have Kolasinac. We had to use Granite Xhaka there. Mm. By any metric that you want to throw at me, Having Tavares as backup for Tierney is is just far superior. I mean, there's he's a really fun player to watch. Mm. Um, you know, some of his forward runs are absolutely brilliant, aren't they? I mean, I <laughs> I feel like at times when I'm watching him, I'm going, "Well, oh, I don't know if Mikel Arteta will like that because of the way that <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean." Because it's yeah. just so like uh, you mentioned that bit where he lost the ball; it was just a heavy touch, but like that. That's fun. That's exciting when a player picks up the ball and runs through midfield and at the opposition and creates danger. I mean, we don't have enough players who can do that anyway. You know? Yeah, I, I agree. It's long I mean, been a failing, hasn't it? Where, how many times have we talked about not having players who are capable of taking opposition players on, breaking the lines, turning the opposition around and, and you know... Yeah. Taking people on exactly. individual skill. Being, being uh, a team that can attack, right? That, that's one of the, the, the areas of improvement that we've, um, we've all been longing for is to see Arsenal attack better. Um, and it's not just by the precision moves of training ground drills to add a bit of unpredictability to the way that we play. If it's a left back driving forward into midfield and making passes with his right foot, you know, those things, um, they, they cause problems for the opposition. And if you've got technical good players in the final third, like we have with Saka, Smith, Rowe, Aubameyang, you know, they can create from those moments. So I think mm. it's really positive. Yeah. Uh, Tim Stillman used a comparison that had a- occurred to me as well, which was that he reminds, Tavares reminds him a little bit of when Colo Torre first broke into the Arsenal squad and he, he played like almost as a wide midfielder at times. It was little cameos here and there, but there was just something very mm. kind of like effervescent about the way he played the game. He had this... Um, raw energy and enthusiasm coupled with some quite impressive technique if occasionally erratic technique mm. and I see that in Tavares too and I, I'm curious to see I think left back is the position for him but I think there'll be times where he's used maybe ahead of Tierney late in games I can see a combination happening on that side we've already seen it in fact this season mm. more than once so I think he's going to have a big role to play in the squad. I think he's a great guy. Even if Tierney comes back into the starting spot to bring on in the last 20 minutes of a game, I think he can cause 
absolute havoc on the break, provide great energy from the, from the front defensively. And I think he can rotate in and he's shown that as the left back. So hats off. I mean, Mikel Arteta gave credit to Edu and his scouting team for mm. finding Tavares essentially. And, you know, a player who I think we all have to admit none of us had really heard of, even though he played against us last season. Um, and yeah, he's he's had a really good start. Who knows where it'll go? But like we said about the signings generally, so far, so mm. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's your um, turn. It's my turn. Well, let's have this. We've talked a lot about Ramsdale today, but we had this question from uh, T Marks on Twitter. He said, Goodly morning, gents. Do you think the real test about how good Ramsdale is will be when he makes a costly mistake? He's obviously a confident chap and going through a purple patch right now, but could a bad error be the character test we are yet to see? Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's been a, a really good run for him since he came into the team. Um, he's played a, a significant part in, in the progress that we've made. But like we talked about with the team itself, there are going to be days where it doesn't go well, where um, the save that he made against Leicester, you know, squirts in underneath the crossbar and it's not a brilliant day for him. Or one of those kicks that are so impressive. Um, you know, there were maybe even one or two against Leicester where... Yeah, the Inacho the chance came yeah. from a, a, a poor kick out. Yeah. So yeah. there's going to be a moment. Of course there is. Like with any player... You know, goalkeepers make mistakes, and unfortunately for goalkeepers, their mistakes are are really, really under the microscope. Um, but I, I don't think I don't worry about. Uh, I don't worry about him like all of a sudden crumbling to bits. You know, no, I don't no. think that's you know I don't know him or anything like that. But you know, I've watched some interviews with him. I think he he came to Arsenal, I'm sure, not unaware of some of the chatter around the signing, mm. knowing that he had a lot to prove, knowing that he was under a great deal of pressure and in the spotlight. And look at what he's done with that, you know? Mm. He hasn't let that phase him. He's come in and taken over from a very, very experienced goalkeeper. And perform to a to a really high level so i don't think you can be i don't think yeah i don't think a mistake is going to ruin him or anything like that and i think he's built up sufficient goodwill where one mistake isn't going to bring out the i told you so merchants either you know so yeah i i think when he first came into the team there was that uncertainty over who was the first choice goalkeeper and i think a big mistake early on might have prompted a change of heart from Mikel Arteta. I think we're actually past that point now. Uh, I think that he's done enough that I don't think a mistake would cost him his place. Um, certainly not in the first instance. And, and I, I agree with the question. I think that is the test that he's yet to face. Um, and I think it's sort of inevitable because he's so proactive in the way he plays the game. I think that, you know, he takes risks mm. and one of those days that pass is going to get cut out, you know, or he's going to come for the cross and not get there. But I, yeah, I take heart from 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 what we know about him and what he's been through. I mean, certainly you say, was he aware of the way he's criticised? I think 
we can assume he, he definitely was. I mean, you don't turn off your Instagram comments by accident. Uh, you know? Yeah, yeah, true. I'd forgotten that uh, part. Uh, you know, players are very aware these days generally of, of how they're perceived, maybe too aware sometimes. And, and I think, but maybe more so than that, you know, this is a guy who had a very difficult spell when he went to Sheffield United first, who's been suffered relegation twice, uh, as we all know, and has been talked about a lot. I think at a young age, he is, he was released by uh, Bolton when he was, you know, in his mid-teens, mm. potentially looking at going out of the game. I think he'll be okay. I think his character is one of the strongest aspects of what he's brought. And it's interesting, you know, if you listen to Mikel Arteta at the moment, there's a, a key word that he keeps using in interviews. And he, every time he's asked about a player, he talks about what they transmit. Mm. Um, he said it about Aubameyang. I love what he's transmitting now. I think he said it about Ben White. And and he's definitely said it about Ramsdale too. And, and you know exactly what he means. I think a lot of these players are stepping up. And in the absence of people like Shaka, in the absence of people like Louise, I think we are seeing sort of, sort of certain characters um, mm. seize responsibility. And it's about what they transmit to other players, but also to supporters. And I think that's part of why, as fans, we're kind of rallying behind this team a bit, because whatever it is they're transmitting, we're picking up on it, you know? Yeah, we're receiving loud and clear. We are receiving, yeah, exactly. Loud that. and clear. Yeah. Um, okay, let me see here. There was a couple of questions about AFCON. Um Aaron M94 on Discord. With midfield options looking a bit scarce come January with AFCON, do you think moving Ben White to mid... Benjamin White, sorry, uh, to midfield could be a viable option? He has experience there and all the qualities to do so. Just thought I'd get your opinions on it. And uh, Pete Coe says, with Aubameyang also absent for the Africa Cup of Nations, more pressure will be placed on a possibly fatigued Lacazette who can't seem to last a full 90 minutes, a relatively untested Nketiah, and young Balagoon who should probably go out on loan. I know midfield depth could be an issue come January, but what about at our striker depth. I am worried about Afcon. I have to say. Um, yeah, the fixtures. I mean, they could be gone. Players could be gone in December, depending on what sort of deal they come to with, um, with yeah, the nations right. involved. So, but by by the letter of the the international rules, they could be gone. Yeah. In December, so that leaves us. I'm yeah. just looking at the the fixtures. Obviously. There's Manchester City on um, New Year's Day, but there's Wolves, Man City, potential Carabao Cup semi-final first leg um, if we get through against Sunderland. So that's a, that's a pretty decent uh, draw in that cup. So, yeah. so you've got Man City on the 1st of January, potential Carabao Cup semi-final on the 5th of January, FA Cup third round on the 8th of January. Carabao Cup semi-final second leg on the 12th of January. Spurs away on the 15th of January. And then there's a gap of seven days to Burnley on the 22nd of January. So not only are there some tricky games in there, there's a, there's a fairly full schedule which will stretch the squad, which would stretch the squad anyway, but without Pepe, without Aubameyang, without Lacazette, and without Thomas Partey, oof, that's going to be a... 
big, big month. It is. And it's going to mean pressure and expectation on some younger players to deliver. You know, I'm thinking of Martinelli, I'm thinking of Lukonga, who thinks going to continue to be important in the midfield in that period. Um, in terms of end product, we'll be looking to guys like Saka and Smith-Rowe to replace contribution of mm. Aubameyang, Pepe, um, which they're showing at the moment that they could well do. So, so that is pleasing. But yeah, it's going to be a testing time. I mean, what I would say is there's a lot of African players in the Premier League now and a lot of teams will suffer with this. Um, so it'll just be about who copes best. In terms of the specifics about sort of moving Ben White into midfield, I, I would be reticent to do that just mm. because I feel like we're building something with this back four and with this goalkeeper um, who's almost like a fifth defender, really. I mean, they do feel like one unit at times, which is really encouraging. And I I keep thinking about when United got battered by Liverpool, um, which feels some time ago now, but mm. it wasn't really, uh, only a week or so ago. I was watching the post-match coverage and I remember watching Gary Neville talk about a no-goals mentality for a defence. And he was saying, you have to live it. You have to, it has to be something that, you know, in every training session, it hurts you if the ball ends up mm. in the back of the net. And he's like, you, you have to carry that with you at all times. And it has to be something that you take real professional pride in. And I have to be honest, and he was saying, I don't see that at United. And I have to be honest, for a long time, I haven't always seen that at Arsenal. You know, just that degree of focus and intensity about we've got to protect this goal at all costs. You know, if we have to put our bodies on the line, we will. And I, maybe it's just because we're speaking off the back of the Leicester game. Mm. But when I look at these back five players, and I'll include Tavares in that and make it a six, I think you can see some of that spirit, that mentality being forged. And there's just little things, you know, the way, the way that Ben White, in his interviews, he wants to talk about defending first. And Arteta's saying, well, look, Tavares is exciting, but he's a defender. He needs to think about defending. And, you know, the way Ramsdale, in his post-match interview on Arsenal.com, he said, I, you know, I made a little speech after the Villa game and said how upset I was we didn't keep a clean sheet. And, you know, mm. it's a, it, the whole team needs to be responsible for that, not just the back four. I just hear some echoes of stuff that we've heard off good Arsenal defences in the past and think that we might have something here. And I think we need to keep it together if we can. I don't know, but I, I hope that's, I hope that we're seeing a bit of that mentality creep in because if you think back to like the way Lee Dixon talks about football or Tony Adams or Martin Kieran, any of these guys, that mentality of, we do not concede. Mm. It was so integral to the way they played. Um, and I'd love it if we had a bit of that back in the club. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you. I wouldn't, unless we had no option, move Ben White in there. Because if you have built a really good partnership with Gabriel, it's sort of like moving Shaka to left back. You've got to do too much to offset the, um, you know, the disruption it makes. Um, to your team so yeah yeah uh look i think we spoke last week as well about strikers and and maybe it's a chance for martinelli um, definitely so yeah look we'll see we'll see what happens but uh, there were a number of questions i saw earlier on twitter about let me see if i can find one here um sort of about this uh, i can't find it now 
Stop doing that. I just want to find my Twitter app is just, uh, yeah, the Emil Smith show, who's at Magnus Holmberg, um, for example, said, how badly do we need to sign a midfielder in January to survive AFCON? There were a number of uh, questions mm-hmm. like that on, on Twitter where I think people are looking at January as um, that that particular issue, rather. They're looking at that as something that needs to be um, sorted in the window a little bit. So would you be... I yeah, mean, I, I'd like it. I'd like mm. it. I'm not hugely confident just because I, I, I don't know if they'll get... I, basically, I think that the midfielder Arsenal really need is like a first-team player, um, like a really top-quality midfield player, and whether or not that will be feasible in January, I don't know. Might they look to do a loan or something? I mean, what will we have left? We'll have uh, Lukonga... Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maitland-Niles. niles El Nenny. No. Oh, no, not El Nenny, sorry. So, Lukonga, Maitland-Niles, maybe Granite Xhaka, who knows. And I guess Martin Odegaard, if if you want to throw him in the mix, someone who's played in that position. Yeah. Um, I, you'd like... you. I think so much depends on Granite Xhaka, I have to say, in terms of what sort of shape is he coming back in and what can we expect from him physically? Mm, that's what we've I known. I don't have yeah. the know-how to answer that. Well, we don't know. We've no frame of reference for this because he's never really been injured and he's never no. been... We don't know what he's like when he comes back from injury. You know the way a player who's got a few injuries, you say, well, you know, it takes him a while to get back in. I think inevitably when he's been out for three or four months with a knee ligament problem, regardless of how hard he works... I think there are going to be some issues of rustiness anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is a bit of a worry, but uh, I have to wait. Yeah, I don't what know what do you what think gonna... will happen. I mean, they got Odegaard in the January transfer window, but it's, you know, they need to be lining something up now, almost, mm. you know, to have somebody ready to come in straight away in January. Because bear in mind, those players... They come back, right? It's yeah. not like they never come back. So you, you've then got a situation where, you know, end of January you get Partey back, and 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 mm. you know what if you what if you got for that player then? So it's it's difficult trying to figure out exactly what sort of profile, yeah, you would go for. Um, but yeah, I, maybe they would do a loan. I maybe. Don't know. Maybe, maybe. Can I ask you a quick one? Yeah. I had a few people getting in touch with me about it. Um, Goonatoons, amongst other people, said, reports in the media say the club has been impressed by William Saliba's performances in Liga. What role do you see him playing in our squad next season? And there have been a lot of questions to that effect. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, that's the yeah. the reality. I don't know. But what I will say is... I think if you're... How old is William Saliba? 20 years of age. Is he? Uh, is he 20 or 21? He's 20 still. Still 20. Yeah. Like, I've, I, I have to say, and I've said it before, I think there's something weird about a club like Arsenal paying £30 million for a central defender who's only 18 years of age, regardless of how much potential they saw in him. I still think there was something odd 
about that. And I don't have any real issue with a 19, 20-year-old central defender being considered a bit raw for the Premier League. So all I will say is I don't know what's going to happen or what the plan is. Arteta said at the weekend that both um, Edu and Ben Napper, who is the club's loan manager, went to the game to see Marseille against PSG. So they're not not keeping an eye on him. They're, They're looking at what he's doing. They're looking at how he's playing. And I think if you're if you're going to be positive about it, you say, well, this loan spell is doing exactly what you want a loan spell to do for a young player. Mm-hmm. How much the reported baggage that's been present with everything. I mean, there's been a lot going on with him. There's a lot's happened, you know, a lot um, of water under the bridge, a lot it? of water yeah. under the bridge. Um, you know, the issues that he had personally, then there was the lockdown. Um, you know, there are reasons why things haven't been smooth sailing at Arsenal for him. And I, I feel for him in that regard. But I think really, if you send a 20 year old central defender out on loan and he plays really well for Marseille, which he seems to be doing, he's playing well, he's playing regularly. That's exactly what you want. So if he comes back next summer, there is a, an issue with contract because he's got two years. Will it be difficult maybe to convince him to sign an extension? Maybe. But if you can explain to him the future at Arsenal is now looking more bright because he's got this experience under his belt with a good loan spell at Marseille, that's positive. And if it doesn't work out or if they decide they're not going to do it, the fact that he's had a good season at Marseille means that if and when when we decide to sell him, he's a much more valuable asset. Like the 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 value of him is not run into the ground, you know. Yeah, I think you've got to give credit to him because he went on loan to Nick. Was it Nice last season? I think yeah, it was. Yeah, and he played well, and he's gone to Marseille and he's playing really well as well. He's got some really good reviews, albeit in a, a league that I think is a different caliber to the Premier League. Um, you know, and if he was arriving at Arsenal this summer for £27 million with all that football under his belt, you, it might look more reasonable. Mm. You know, you might think, ah, oh, it makes more sense. I hope he comes back to Arsenal. I hope he's part of our squad because I believe that he has really exciting potential. As listeners know, mm. I, I went to watch him when he was 18. I thought this guy's got some great attributes. Um I think he can be better for us than some of our existing centre-halves, um, certainly. And I think, you know, we need more than two decent central defenders mm. in this squad. Um, I think if we have European football, there's going to be plenty of football to go around for those guys. I also think he could complement Gabriel and he could complement White. And I think there are interesting things you could do with those three. Um I don't. I don't think it's even impossible that you could play them all in certain games. So, yeah. Um, I, I, I hope he comes back. So do I. And I think the other thing to say, uh, just very briefly before we go, because we've got to uh, wrap this up, is that um, I saw people say, "Well, Arteta doesn't give young players chances. He doesn't look like a guy who wants to play young players." And I think there was some merit to that when you consider some of the players that did play, but. 
if you're trying to convince William Saliba that Arsenal is the place for him to be, for a young defender to be, you point to Ben White and you point to Gabriel and you point to Tavares and you point to Lakonga and Tommy Asu, you know, as guys who've been given a chance, uh, you know, a couple of years older than him, a couple of years more developed, but they're in the team and there is first team football to be had, you know? So yeah, I think the I, fact I, I, that the age profile of the squad has changed allows more chance for him to to be part of things next season as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's a case-by-case thing, you know. I mean, plenty of young players have been picked by Arteta. I think it's it's much more about his personal feelings about that player and how they fit into his system. But, mm. uh, yeah, I, I, I know people will look at the team and go, well, this, we play with two centre-halves, three into two doesn't go. I don't see how it can work, but I think... You need more than two central defenders. You need more than two central defenders. And I also think the way Arsenal use the right-back position is is interesting. And I think a couple of those centre-halves could play that role as well. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I, I I think he's a really... I'd be really happy if he came back and we got to see him give it give it a go at Arsenal. As I've said all along, my reservation is kind of, is that what he's going to want by this point? Um, and I think that will be a big factor in what happens. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. Uh, but look, let's see the season play out. It's a long season yeah. still for him. You know, he's going to have some ups and downs as well, as you know. Just very quickly, uh, final one from... Oh, my goodness. Um, I did have it here. Oh, for fuck's sake. Okay, yeah, it's from Martin Warren, who's at Velcro Cow 2. He says, do you think, uh, as a society, we'll ever reach the point where it's possible to hear the Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe chant during a match and then not have it reverberating through your cranium for the rest of the day? <laughs> uh, don't think so, no. I mean, the credit to status quo, that is a hell of an earworm, that melody. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love that chant. And the away fans, by the way, were fantastic. I was sat quite far away from them. The press box is over on the opposite side, but they were very audible throughout. And uh, yeah, the support from the stands for Arsenal all season long has been yeah. brilliant. It's good fun chant. Go, yeah, go on. By the way, we should also shout out the women's team who had a very good result oh, yeah. this weekend. Into the yeah. FA Cup final on December the Indeed, 5th. into last season's FA Cup final. Uh, yeah. They're going back in time to Wembley to play that game. This new coach has got some skills, doesn't he? Barcelona. He does, yeah. yeah. I think he's I think he's built on, you know, the, the legacy. The previous manager left and, mm. yeah, Arsenal look... Like quite the machine right now. The yeah, time. there's more stuff, of course, on Arsenal Women over on Arsblog News. Tim is uh, doing some more video stuff uh, this season as well. We're going to try and do more of that, which is, again, why your support on Patreon is really, really helpful. It means we can expand our coverage of the women's team. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's going to be a big week. They're playing the FA Cup final and then Barcelona in mm. the Champions League at the Emirates. Um, so there's going to be loads and loads of tickets available for that. I mean, I think tickets are only... 10 or 12 pounds, something like that, yeah, and six euro or six pounds for uh, concessions and stuff like that. So, um, that'd be a great uh, game to go to get your, uh, uh, get the family out, go support the Arsenal women, and hopefully they'll have a little bit of a trophy parade before the game. That'd be something. That would be. All right, look, we got to leave it there. We've been going way too long. Um, but thank you as ever, James, for a good Arsenal chats. Um, to you guys for being here as always. Thank you very much. And we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.